Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. It's just another beautiful day in Perth. We're out here at the Toolkit Depot studio at Optus Stadium. We're heading towards a top of 29 degrees later today, and we're heading towards another big show. Coming up on the show today, we're going to talk to Daniel Menzel. Of course, he's the former Geelong player. We'll talk to him about the Sam Pal Pepper uh, tribunal hearing upcoming. Daniel is part of the ACN family with Sports Day in South Australia. We'll also talk about the upcoming games between Port Adelaide and Fremantle on Friday night and Adelaide and West Coast on Saturday and how the South Australian teams are shaping up for this 2024 AFL season. We'll talk to Jewel Sandover medalist Jai Bolton. Jai Bolton was involved in the match in Darwin in the NTFL on the weekend, the elimination final, when a player fresh out of jail assaulted an umpire and King hit a Southern Districts player. Jai Bolton was probably best to field for Southern District in that game. They won that game. They go forward. They play Waratahs in a first semi final this week. We'll find out from Jai what the hell happened in that match. And later on in the show, we'll talk to Joe Bridie. He's the Fremantle Executive General Manager of Football. The titles get longer and longer down at Frio. We'll talk to him about last weekend's matches, the upcoming games in Adelaide this week, and uh, just how various Frio players are going. We'll certainly talk to him about Nathan Fife. We are... Brought to you by Izuzu, and you can live your own way in the Izuzu MUX. And here are four thoughts to four-wheel drive you to work today to get the show started. Thought one, and it's a question actually, is there a better coach in Australian cricket right now than WA's Adam Voges? I'm not suggesting that Cricket Australia kick Andrew McDonald to the curb because his Aussie team is performing very well, but... Voges has now taken this WA team to three Marsh Cup one-day titles in a row, as well as the last two Sheffield Shield titles, and they are still not out of contention for this year's title. He's got a couple of BBL titles thrown in there too. Appearances can be deceptive when it comes to coaches, but Voges appeals as a calm, no-nonsense coach who understands game situations very well, and it's no coincidence that his teams play game situations very well as a result. He's been part of an extraordinarily successful talent development pathway. We have the Sheffield Shields leading batsman of the last two seasons, Cameron Bancroft. We have produced four of the best all-rounders in Australian cricket, Cam Green, Mitch Marsh, Aaron Hardy, and don't forget Marcus Stoinis was a West Aussie as well. A few years ago, the match winner from Sunday's final, Hilton Cartwright, was considered an all-rounder too. We have a class bowling attack. Sunday's attack included Joel Paris, Jason Berendorf and Andrew Ty with Ashton Agar spinning it. And the title at the weekend was achieved without several interstate and international quality players. Ashton Turner, Lance Morris, Matt Kelly and Jai Richardson, not to mention the players on international duties at the moment as well. Thought two, footy and the Eagles. It's terrible luck for West Coast. And whatever else you say about West Coast over the last few seasons, the luck has been terrible. Matt Flynn, with his hamstring tendon, is set to be sidelined for at least three months. So what do the Eagles do to replace him? Now, the first truck is easy. They'll just drag Bailey Williams from where they were going to play him in the forward line into the ruck. But I hope 
they go with Jack Williams as the guy that plays the forward ruck role. It was great to see Cohen Livingston, the teenager, play on the weekend. And it was also impressive that he's done enough over summer to be in the mix for selection at the weekend. But Williams has a body that's been in the system for three years. He's 200 centimetres tall. He's over 100 kilograms heavy. He's much better prepared for AFL football than Livingston. And his selection would roughly fit the forward structure that Adam Simpson has been working towards all summer. And that's a ruckman, a forward ruckman resting in attack and smaller forwards around Oscar Allen. And to that end, whether or not Jack Darling plays against Adelaide this week, I hope that Simpson finds room in his team for both Jake Waterman and Ryan Marrick. I thought they were among the better players in the loss to Fremantle at the weekend. Waterman has the versatility and smarts to play a number of roles, even if he's not being set up as a third tall in attack. And Marrick has the sort of athleticism and skill with the ball that warrants further exploration and even shifting him further up the ground as far as onto a wing. If the 52-point loss to Fremantle confirmed anything to the Eagles, it should be that this season has to be about finding young players and you can't do that if you don't play them. Thought three, footy and Fremantle. This is going to sound strange given that we spent half of last year and much of the summer saying that Hayden Young has to play in the midfield for the Dockers. But given the form of Nat Fife last weekend against West Coast and given the form of players like Neil Erasmus and Will Brodie when they came onto the field after half time, I would love to see the Dockers switch Hayden Young back to half back at the start of the season while Fife is fit to free up another midfield spot. The fact that Jager O'Meara, Andrew Brasher and Matt Johnson all spent time on the wing uh, last weekend tells you that there is a log jam for spots inside the centre square at the Dockers. To me, Erasmus, a highly rated top 10 draft pick now in his third season, gets to play. Johnson on the wing, sometimes going into the middle, gives the Dockers some of the size that Young would offer and speed in transition. And Brayshaw being sent to the wing for a burst or two gives them great two-way run and gives Brayshaw, who's a little bit smaller than the others, a rest from the hurly-burly of banging bigger bodies inside the square. And meanwhile, five bigger body and contested ball-winning ability would give the smaller Dockers mids, whoever they be, the confidence to hold width, and when Fife dishes the ball to them, they'll have more time and space to use the ball and get better connection with forwards. Young would have spent much of the summer training for a midfield role, but it's not as if he doesn't know how halfback looks at Fremantle. He spent time there um, after the second quarter on the weekend. And if Friday night's game against Port is a dress rehearsal for round one and you are even thinking about playing Young in defence in round one, then he should play there against Port. Thought four, footy again and the AFL tribunal. So Port Sam Pepper is being sent straight to the tribunal for the hit on Adelaide's Mark Keane during the pre-season showdown at the weekend. And for what it's worth, Pepper has to get weeks and probably at least two for the hit but I hope it's not more than three. It never ceases to amaze how the pendulum effect of the AFL tribunal seems to swing to the more severe end of penalties when they want to make an example of someone or something, and there is a case involving a player from somewhere other than one of the big Melbourne clubs. Pal Pepper was reckless in his approach to the contest, 
when he clipped Keane high, but the crow was also slung into him by the tackle applied by Willie Rioli. There are actually more mitigating circumstances in Powell Pepper's favour than there were in Collingwood's Braden Maynard's favour when he was absolved or guilt for the hit on Angus Brayshaw in last year's qualifying final. And remember, Angus Brayshaw has just announced that his career is over as a result of changes in his brain that were discovered after that hit. The fact that Powell Pepper has been sent straight to the tribunal generally means a minimum of three weeks. I would argue that an absolute maximum of three weeks should apply for that offence. Powell Pepper needs to show more care when charging at a player being tackled, but Rioli was a factor with his tackle when he swung Keane into him. Nobody swung Brayshaw into Maynard and nobody pushed Maynard into Brayshaw. And as long as I've known football, you're not allowed to hit a player once he's disposed of the ball. Brayshaw was certainly under no ob- obligation to make sure he missed Maynard. Maynard had every obligation to make sure he missed Brayshaw and he didn't miss him. Do you agree or do you disagree? You can give us your thoughts on the text line on 0487 736 736 or you can call us on the Bower and O'Day open line on 13 12 55. Bower and O'Day, because the little things are everything. After the break, we'll be back with SEN... SA's Daniel Menzel off Sports Day in South Australia to talk about the upcoming games at the weekend between the WA clubs and the South Australian clubs. Goes backwards to Keane. Ball didn't sit for him. He lost the footy. Went back and got it again. Keane cleaned up by Powell Pepper. Throwing his weight around. He's in a bit of trouble, Keane. I'll get you to keep an eye on that, Tom. Yeah, it looks like Mark Keane still sucking him in behind play. Generally, if you get hit by Sam Powell Pepper, that can be the case. Yes, the commentary, of course, of the hit of Sam Palpepper on Mark Keane from the preseason showdown at the weekend. Sam Palpepper to front the AFL Tribunal tonight. Going to be a very big tribunal case early in the season and potentially a precedent setter for events later in the season. Daniel Menzel is with Sports Day on SEN South Australia. He joins us on the show to talk about that and other issues concerning South Australian football. Daniel, welcome. Darth, thanks for having me on the show. Mate, what is the expectation coming up from within uh, South Australia as to what happens to Sam Palpepper tonight, do you think? Well, being sent straight to the tribunal, it will be three-plus weeks. I think that majority of people expect it to be the three weeks, and, and he's obviously come out as well and said that it's a mistake, it's not who he is, it's just an incident, and he's going to accept the penalty. So I think that people involved will be expecting three and hoping that it's nothing more serious. Um, in saying that, Mark Keane didn't come off too well from that incident either. So I think we'll see the three and wouldn't be surprised whatever the outcome is over here. Yeah, I hope it's no more than three. I mean, to me, the Rioli tackle is a factor in the incident. And I, I, I mean, Sam does charge very hard and he certainly charged very hard into that. And you could argue that he didn't show enough duty of care to his opposition player. But there are some mitigating factors there. To me, just making an example of him because they need to make an example of someone who's made contact to the head is typical AFL tribunal two-step. And um, I, I don't know. Do you think it could possibly be worth more than three? I don't believe it should be worth more than three, but without a doubt I agree with you where we know that... 
the head and how they react to that, that they, they might want to make uh, as a precedent for the first one this year. And it could, I could see it being four weeks. Uh, I, I would still stick with the three, having it going straight to the tribunal. But uh, look, I don't know whether, again, Palpeva's come out, put his hand up, he's showed some remorse, whether it has any bearing at all on uh, human decisions. But yeah, I think three is the right amount for this incident in a pre-season game because also he, he he will miss it in regular season games. This was done in a match simulation game. He's not able to serve it in the pre-season this weekend, so it, it adds that little bit more as well. What did you make of Adelaide and Port Adelaide Port Adelaide in that game at the weekend, Dan? Yeah, it was a good hit out for both sides. Obviously, the scoreboard doesn't really mean a lot this time of year. It ended up being a draw between the two teams. I think for both sides, they would have been happy in large. I probably was a little bit more impressed with Port Adelaide, to be completely honest. Uh, I think that one thing that you'll see, no doubt, uh, in, in Western Australia with the teams playing against each other and also round one with Port Adelaide uh, taking on West Coast, the rotation of Connor Rosie and Jason Horn francis deep forward out of the goal square is going to be... It's not just going to be a possibility this year. It's going to be a big factor, I believe, for the power. And that that had some good success on the weekend against the Crows. You've got the likes of Charlie Dixon down there. Todd Marshall will be there. Either Finlayson or Georgiades. They've got a few guys that you have to be wary of, as well as these guys sitting deep, which are a really tough matchup. But not just that, I think they'll be pretty pleased with Soto and Sweet in the ruck. And Zach Butters looks like he's back to that similar form of last year, which nearly won in the brown line. See, Mark Robinson's got Zach Butters at number two on his top 50. That's a meteoric rise for, I mean, he's a hell of a player, but he's two on top 50. That's pretty high, isn't it? Yeah, I wouldn't have him in my top two. But in, in saying that, we did, and we have interviewed a few Port Adelaide players over here uh, on SCN Sports Day SA the last few weeks. And the comments that have come out of them is Zach Butters is the one they have spoken up the most. It hasn't been Connor Rosie. It hasn't been Horn Francis. It hasn't been Ollie Wines back inside. It has been Zach Butters. Um, looks like he's taking his game to another level, which is rather scary for opposition teams. And maybe that's why Mark Robinson's got some inside information there and has him at number two. But, yeah, look, Conor Rosie's taken over the captaincy. They're, they're inside the centre square could be as good as any uh, if they can get that right with Horn Francis in there. And, and Ollie Wines is the other one. They've, they're going to put him back inside where he runs his Brownlow medal rather than spending time on the wing this year. Yeah, they're going to be pretty dangerous in transition, I think, with Horn Francis, um, Rosie and Butters all uh, going around the middle. There'll be a fair few serious wheels going through there. So I would think their forwards are going to get a pretty good look at it. How's Charlie Dixon's body? Well, it's holding up at this stage. He played in the game on the weekend. He took a really strong contested mark. For this time of year, for Charlie to be playing, I think is the biggest positive for Port Adelaide. Uh, now, again, that's going to be a question and you have to monitor it throughout the season. He He's missed a fair bit of footy over the last couple of years and that has been a major factor as to why they've struggled, uh, particularly converting goals and, and kicking goals. So, look, they need him up and about. If they're going to contend, they still believe they're a top-four team and, and they can win it. And if that's the case, then he's he's got to be there and he's a, a major factor for them. Yeah, well, the home and away season last year tells you they're a top-four team. Obviously, they went out in straight sets. I think they got the the rough end of the pineapple from the AFL after the first week of finals where they had to go to Brisbane, got stuck there, and then played 
off the, you know, a, a shorter break um, against GWS the next weekend, which may have been a factor in that game. Um, they certainly, you'd think they're going to be a top six team, wouldn't you? Do, do, do you see them there? Yeah, I see them around the six. Uh, and it's a good point you make about finals from last year. They lost to Brisbane, which no other team beat Brisbane up there last year anyway. So that was as difficult as it got for any side. But then the next week, and, and Ken Hinckley sort of mentioned that to us uh, in the last week when we a few of our guys headed down to Port Adelaide, he said, look, we made we made an error in, in playing four or five guys that were underdone or not quite right in that final against GWS, and it, it came back to bite us. So in terms of their preparation for the finals, uh, whether it's an excuse, it's also a reason. It probably wasn't great for Port Adelaide last year. What about Adelaide? It's been a steady build under Matty Nix. I think most people are quite impressed with the way he has handled the Crows, but you get the feeling they they should be either in or very close to playing finals this year. Yeah, which has been the sentiment over here, without a doubt. I think the fact that the Crows missed the finals last year, they had such an incredible percentage. They, on form, the teams they pushed last year at the top of the ladder, they nearly beat Brisbane up there. They, they should have beaten Collingwood at least one of their two games. A lot of people believe, and the Crows believe, they should have played finals last season. And it's almost the mindset, I feel like, not internally but externally, is, well, they've just made that jump. They will be playing finals this year. But I still think they need a few things to go right for them this season. Their their draw and their run is tougher than most people probably expected it to be from missing finals. Uh, we, we still know their key defence stocks are a little bit decimated and, and injured at the moment with Murray and, and Butts now coming back. But, um, yeah, I think for the Crows, I actually think they're not dissimilar to Fremantle in terms of their list build. But they have a lot of guys that have played between 30 and 90 games that are, are good players, but give them a year or two, they'll be that, that bit better. So I still have them pushing for the eight, but just outside. I still think a little bit like Fremantle, they'll be a better team in a couple of seasons' time than potentially they will in season 2024. They're both a bit younger than you think, aren't they? I often look at Fremantle and I look at who they're kicking to, and if it's Amos, Tracy and Jackson, that's one 20-year-old, one 21-year-old and one 22-year-old. So... However, they however good they are now, you think they're going to get better over the next two or three years. Adelaide, apart from Tex Walker, give you a, a similar sort of impression. With they've got a lot of potency there, but a lot of it's young. Without a doubt, it's they're better players. I mean, Dawson's in in his mid twenties now, but Isaac Rankin's still under the age of twenty four. They've got they've probably got eight or nine coming through in that bracket that are going to be good players for a long time. But they when you compare them to Collingwood, who won it last year, Geelong, who had the oldest premiership list in history. The, the Richmond teams that have won it, they're so much more inexperienced than those sides, even Brisbane from the grand final last year. So for mine, there will be pressure on the Crows this year if they don't make it, but I still think they're a team that they need to contend again this year and put themselves in a position to potentially make top four a winner in a couple of years' time. Given that Matty Nick's inherited the job but at the same time that Justin Longmuir inherited the job at Fremantle and that there is certainly pressure on Justin Longmuir to play finals even though he's already had a final series in 2022 does does Matty Nix have to play finals to be safe or is it do you think he'll get to go on because I think most people think he's done a good job with the team yeah they do I, I think that from where he's taken them and you've seen development in certain players that have, have made a difference and I think that holds him in really good stead 
again, in speaking with Crows people over here, he's out of contract at the end of the season, but they are looking at extending it right now. So I don't believe he is if they miss. I think it's if they can show that progress again and, and show that they are thereabouts and, and pushing the likes of Collingwood, pushing Brisbane, these teams, that they'll back him in that those wins will eventually turn, whether that's this season or next season. Tom Doty is a is a bit of a loss, and you mentioned the defensive stocks being a little bit depleted. Um, how will that um, him going to Brisbane? How will that affect them? Do you think? Yeah, it does. It really tests their depth. I mean, mentioned Nick Murray coming off an ACL. Jordan Butts had a pretty good season until he got injured last year. It's exactly the the point we've sort of made around Fremantle. Max Michelini now inherits that role. He's a nineteen year old. Uh, you've got Josh Worrell, who, who will be back there. He's played a bit of footy, but he's still relatively inexperienced in the team. So it just means that, and I think I probably saw it last year a little bit when Brisbane took on the Crows as an opposition forward line. And I remember thinking as an opposition player, you would know who's in the opposition back line. And I feel like against the Crows, a lot of teams and players that play on the forward line would be quite comfortable against them because it still is very inexperienced back there. And what about Tex Walker? How's he shaping up? He's been one of the great stories of the last two seasons, hasn't he? Really has. It's incredible how he's defined his age and, and playing at such a high level. Uh, he comes second in the Coleman Medal last year. He, he turned 34 years of age uh, in the next couple of months. So, look, can he do what he did last year? I'm not sure he will. I think he might potentially be rested for a game or two more this season. But what it's doing is it's, it's really helping progress Darcy Fogarty, who's on a really nice progression. Riley Philthorpe is almost the player that's been talked up the most over here in Adelaide, so they're expecting big things from him. So it's sort of just taking a bit of pressure off those guys and allowing them to develop. But I would not be surprised if you saw one or if not both of those guys go past him in terms of being the number one key forward this year. Geez, we talked about their forward line being potent. Last year, Dan, if if they're going to be if Thilthorpe emerges and obviously Darcy Fogarty's in the leadership group now, which is a great story, given he probably had to lift his professional standards for a couple of years to to even get into a regular spot in the team. They, they're going to be dangerous four to centre. Did you did you see much of the the derby played over here last week? And if you did, what did you make of the two WA teams? Yeah, I saw a little bit of the derby last week. And, um, I mean, it's probably, to be honest, probably as expected in ways. I think the thing that's probably surprising and come up a little bit uh, in the eastern states and in South Australia is if Nat Fife is back and if he's back in the middle, what does that mean with Sarong and Brayshaw and the emergence of Hayden Young? If you put them in there with the one-two punch of Darcy and Jackson, all of a sudden you start talking about the best midfields in the competition and, and Fremantle absolutely can lay claim to that. So I think that's exciting for Dockers fans. Um, we mentioned how young they are, but Darcy was injured a lot last year and Jackson come on really nicely. So I think for Fremantle, they will scare a few sides with how damaging they can be in the middle of the ground. Dan, look forward to hearing your thoughts on the games after they're played this weekend. Thanks for joining us on the show. And um, hopefully if you're calling them, happy calling. No, I appreciate it. Thanks, Duff. Dan Menzel, he's a former Geelong and Sydney player. Of course, he's part of the SEN family with Sports Day SA. Very bright football brain as well. A reminder for the upcoming long weekend, double demerits apply from midnight Thursday until midnight Monday for drink or drug driving, not wearing a seatbelt or running a red light. You get caught, 
you could lose your license twice as fast. If you've got your thoughts on anything we've talked about on the show, send them in on the text line on 0487 736 736 or we'd love to hear from you on the Bower and O'Day open line on 13 12 55. Bower and O'Day, because the little things are everything. We'll be back after the news. Pushing and shoving in Southern Districts do not oh, want to get... Oh, the umpire. That was crazy. That Warwick was Williams. crazy. I think it was Warwick Williams grabbed him. I'm not sure yep, why him. he would have grabbed him. Pulled him into the contest. That Pulled was... him into the scrimmage and then back out again. That is a red gut. That is sent off. You cannot touch Unusual. the umpire. Yeah, the ump going to his back pocket yeah. yeah, to get the report card out. Yeah, he's I been think told the umpires to get are getting info through their headsets here. You touch an ump, oh. let alone do and what you did. That's not touched. the young fella. That was unusual. That was... Oh, no. No, you can't no. come back on. Interchange people, that is it. You cannot put on a player for him. He has been sent off. Yes, commentary from the elimination final in the Northern Territory Football League at the weekend. Of course, Warwick Williams... He belted a Southern Districts player and then scragged and threw the young umpire to the ground. The young umpire probably got too close to the melee, but you suspect Warwick Williams is facing some fairly serious action from the NTFL tribunal. Jewel Sandover medalist Jai Bolton played in that game. He was playing for Southern Districts. He was a star in that game. They have a first semi-final coming up this weekend. We're going to talk to Jai after the break on Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. Welcome back to Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. If you want to share your thoughts on anything we've talked about on the show or even anything that's current in footy or sport, you can text in on 0487 736 736. We'd love to hear from you on the Bauer and O'Day open line on 13 12 55. Well, one of the big talking points out of the weekend came out of Darwin. And, of course, Warwick Williams, who plays for PINT, he was playing in an elimination final against Southern Districts assaulted an umpire and also belted one of the Southern Districts players for good measure. Jewel Sandover medalist Jai Bolton was playing in that game. He was a star in that game for Southern Districts. He's got an upcoming first semi-final this week, I think, against Waratahs. Jai, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, mate. So, mate, where were you when it all went down on the centre wing uh, in that elimination final last weekend? Yeah, I was uh, well right there, really. Um, uh, in the sort of scrap, I suppose, after there was a little bit of a uh, incident. Um, didn't really notice uh, what what happened, so I can't really comment too much. But um, yeah, uh, obviously not something that uh, we'd like to ad- advocate uh, and want to stamp out completely out of out of our game. So um, yeah, disappointing. What was the mood like after it happened? I would imagine there would almost be a bit of. Um, a lot of players stunned and amazed because it's not something you see very often in modern footy. Yeah, pretty stunned, yeah. Um, it's it's as, uh, as simple as you can put it, really. Um, you don't expect to see that on a footy field. So, And one of your guys got hit in the scrap. Um, who was that, and is he okay, Joy? Yeah, there was a bit of a head clash. Um, I think uh, Jared Brander popped it, but yeah, the, uh, everyone walked away um, okay from, from our end, and uh, yeah, so I think we'll have a full selection going into into the final this week. 
And this is not a tin pot competition, is it? I was looking through the, the list of names that are playing in this competition this year. And apart from yourself, Zach Smith, Jed Anderson, Reese Matheson, Mitch Robinson, Jared Brandy, you mentioned Ashton Hams, the former South um, Fremantle Premiership player and West Coast player, Lockie O'Brien, Ryan Clark. There's a lot of former AFL players up there. And, of course, yourself as a dual Sandover medalist. It would be a pretty high standard comp, I would imagine. Yeah, and there's even um, in the team we played in the weekend, Luke Partington, who uh, won a, he was at West Coast for a little bit and won a McGarry, and um, Steve Motlop as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of talent up there. Um, they've said, I've only, I've only played a few games the last couple of years, but um, they've said in the last sort of five or so years, especially since COVID happened and some people decided to um, get out of Melbourne and get up there um, while the lockdowns were happening and while they could, um, but they put them on the map a little bit, and the, and the quality of the competition has really um, taken off. So, um, yeah, I was oh, I didn't really know much going into it last year, and was expecting it to be sort of a local um, level, but certainly above that, um, I was yeah being quite impressed with uh, how they run everything up there and uh, and the quality of the, of the football that's being played. It's a completely different brand of footy. I'll, I'll definitely say that. Um, it's a lot uh, quicker into space, and they try and use their weapons and and speed, which doesn't really match me anymore. Um, uh, coming up to 32, but it's uh, yeah, it's a lot of good fun, and um, there's a lot of guys that are quite committed to it. So, do you have you played the full season, Jai? Have you just gone up there for part of the season? Yeah, I just fly up there on a Friday night and then come back on a Sunday. Um, and I think I've played six games, including the final on the weekend. So, um, yeah. Tell us about the upcoming first semi-final this week against Waratahs. Who's the danger for them, and are you confident you can get through? Yeah, they've got uh, a few guys that have been on AFL lists previously. They've been, uh, I think they, they won the grand final last year. They beat uh, our team in the grand final last year. So. Um, yeah, they're a strong, strong outfit, and um, yeah, they've got some dangerous players. Um, yeah, we should uh, go pretty well against them. Though. I think that we've got a, a pretty stacked team. Um, yeah, you mentioned Jed Anderson, and uh, we've got Jared Brander and um, Nakia Cockatoo as well. So um, yeah, we've got a, a very uh, strong list, and um, looking forward to hopefully getting a win. So you mentioned it's a quick brand of footy and you said you're 32 now. Do you just uh, win the hard ball and shovel it out to the blokes running quickly around you? <laughs> I try to, mate, yeah. I'm just um, holding on on the back end of my career, really. No, I'm feeling pretty good um, and, yeah, moving okay. So uh, it's just, it is a different brand of footy. They love smacking the ball out into space and running onto it and just being as attacking as possible. So... Um, I quite enjoy the offensive side of the game, so it's been it's been enjoyable, um, and yeah, it's quite skillful. Even though the humidity does um, bring down a little bit of the uh, receiving end because the ball can get quite slippery, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a good good brand of footy to watch and be involved in. Well, even the incident that probably gave rise to the incident involving PINT's Warwick Williams was a it was a. Um, a contest between two players running in opposite directions at speed in open space, wasn't it? And a sort of, um, I think your guy mm. went a bit lower and harder than their guy, and uh, there was a bit of a consequence, and uh, and it all flowed from there. Yeah, it was pretty. Um, it was a pretty big contest. Actually, I was uh, yeah, running over towards that contest, thinking that one of them would pull out, and they both just didn't. So, um, yeah, I thought it was pretty pretty fair, but also indicative of, uh, of finals footy. 
How's your form been? How are you playing? Yeah, not too bad. Um, I'm just uh, yeah trying to contribute to the team and get a few wins. I've, I've just really enjoyed the whole experience. I've, I've got along really well with all my teammates up there, and um, yeah, we've got quite a good group. It's they're really accustomed to to fly in players, so they're, they're quite welcoming and um, try and show you the. The city and um, and the town and you know I really love being a part of it and um, experience something new up up in town which otherwise probably wouldn't have gone to go and visit um, very often so um, yeah it's been a great experience. So do you train? I, I would imagine that Claremont has preseason training in full swing. Do you train the week doing everything with Claremont and then just fly up in there on Friday? Is that how you manage it? Yeah, yeah. So I'll train. I trained last night with Claremont, and I'll train yeah Wednesday, and then um, yeah usually go up uh, Friday Arvo, miss the um, Friday night training session with Claremont, and then play Saturday, and then back for back for training on the uh, on the Monday night. So while we've got you, we might as well ask you how are the Tigers shaping up. You've lost a couple of players. Yeah, um, we're, I think they're looking pretty good. We've got uh, probably on memory. Uh, some of the most exciting Colts group come through and definitely committed. Um, we've got some guys who are even trying to take over training and um, and, and can contribute as well as I can remember a Colts group doing. So that's really exciting to have them coming from, from that uh, side. And we've added some, some talent in uh, in uh, Marty Frederick. Um, we've got uh, Sumich as well. Um, and uh, Eric Benning um, is back from Frio. Um, Did Alec Waterman, then, Alec Waterman come back? He's traveling. Oh, yeah. Claremont, and Alec is that Waterman, right? obviously. Yeah. yeah, so it's great to have him back too because he's, um, he's doing a, lot, a fair bit of work in the coaching space as well. So um, he's passing on a, a wealth of knowledge and especially his AFL experience to a lot of the um, kids who are really keen to learn off him as well. So um, yeah, I'm quite excited um, for this year. I feel as though everyone's... Um, pretty committed to it, and I think we'll, we'll uh, have a pretty successful year. I remember doing a story with you for Code Sports last year, and you said the one box you've got to tick is that premiership. How how hopeful and confident are you about that happening this year at the the Mighty Tigers? I mean, I think everyone gets pretty confident going into into the season, because you, when you're training with yourselves, you think everyone's flying. But, um, yeah, I, I'm also realistic in the fact that it's a really high... Uh, level comp, and I think the, the the level of the talent within the comp is growing as well. So there's some strong teams. I think it will probably even out a little bit as well. Um, you can see the recruiting that some other teams are really diving into is uh, quite interesting, and it'll be um, a, a very tight competition, I think. But yeah, I, I think that we'll we'll be around the mark again, and um, we're just going to try and keep our team together. Hope that we get lucky with injuries, and um, then we're firing uh, in the in the last few weeks of the season and into finals. Jai, uh, one more before I let you go. Do you take a, a little bit of a mini break after you finish up in, in Darwin or does it flow seamlessly one season into another? It'll pretty much flow straight in. I think I'll have a pracky match with Claremont a week off and then round one. So, um, yeah, it's a, bit, it's a bit of volume, but um, I'm feeling like I'm pulling up really well. Everyone has said to me since I was about um, 26, oh, yeah, you know, you start pulling up pretty sore from games. But, yeah, luckily I've um, been feeling really good. So uh, I'll still manage that with our sports um, science guys, Jake Shaw down there. He's a ripper. 
um, he'll look after me. So I'll get the load right and um, get through the season. Jai, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Good luck in the first semi-final this weekend and good luck with the upcoming season with Claremont. Cheers, mate. Thanks, Abes. Jai Bolton, dual Sandover medalist, playing for Southern Districts in the NTFL, will be playing for Claremont uh, as soon as he comes back from there. Send in your thoughts on the text line on 0487 736 736. We'd love to hear from you on the Bower and O'Day open line on 13 12 55. Bower and O'Day, because the little things are everything. We'll take a break. I think it was a great test match. Um, you know, if you look at the scoreboard, India win by five wickets. Uh, I don't think it really gives enough credit to to sort of the game as a whole. You know, the amount of ebbs and flows. You know, every single day that happened. Um, and you know, I've got to give so much credit to you know our spinners, uh, Tom Hartley, Shoal Bashir, to come out and put in that performance uh, throughout the whole test match. But in particular today, you know, being exposed in situations like that at such a you know early start of their career. I mean, incredible. Uh, I couldn't be more proud of those two in particular, but obviously very proud of the team throughout this whole week and what they've thrown at India. It's a gift that keeps giving. Another, yeah. another moral victory for England. <laughs> so he recently played his 100th test match. Yep. And he's talking about test cricket as if he's just played his first test match. <laughs> yeah, we got tried out in the conditions, you know, it's you know ebbs and flows. That's the point of test cricket. It goes for five days, so it can ebb and flow and can have a bit of mystery and drama to it but it was a good test match but But they talk about it with such an overinflated sense of importance yeah and then it doesn't work as ball we're gonna we're gonna (laughs) oh no it can work but But i I do laugh yeah they've kind of made a rod for their own back when they lost and thought Mm. thought they'd won yeah (laughs) hadn't had just forgotten to check the scoreboard that is a good test series that that Mm. series in india um and it's just england unfortunately had a batting collapse on the third day which really um, gave them too much to do in terms of bowling um, the Indians out. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yes, they uh, they are a very positive group. The English, <laughs> the English Test team, they're a very positive, which is good. That's yeah. one way to describe it. Uh, India good. also going through um, a lot of change within their eleven. Um, yep. Kuldeep Yadav, uh, you know, who's been called the left arm Shane Warne, so that's a pretty big uh, sort of wrap. I don't know if that's got to do maybe with his physique a little bit as well, uh, more of the you know baked bean sandwich uh, sort of uh, fueled physique from the great man. But I reckon, yeah, I reckon he's got a few baked beans tins to eat before he's quite warny. <laughs> Stature, uh, and he's probably got to find a little bit more control with yeah. his warning stature as well. I watched him bowl um, at the England tail for a while when they had the mate down for not many, and it, it took him a while to get to get it right there. But um, yeah, no, he's he's pretty handy. They've got some good young players coming through. Yeah, it's it's hard when um, you know the Crusaders sort of to save Test cricket or to bring you know the ones the countries outside the big three into uh, Test cricket a bit more. But when you have you know, two of those top three teams play each other. It was always such a enthralling series. And, I mean, as Ben Stokes is saying, uh, ebbs and flows test cricket. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a hard one to uh, try and get that sort of uh, initiative back. Got a thought on test cricket and test cricket in Perth that I might mm. share with you after the break, Ooh, either. All right. uh, a bit of a brainstorm involving okay. the Aussies and the Kiwis all right. and what we might be able to do out west with the West Test. All right, we'll head to some news and we'll be back with more after the break, talking to Fremantle's footy manager, Joe Bridie, about their upcoming game on the weekend. It could be the return of the King Five. 
from what we saw. Yep. They are really talking him up that he's back to his best. Some players that probably have been there three years, they haven't seen this sort of Nathan Fife at this sort of fitness level. And I think the next part is his confidence in his mind. I remember listening to him last year a couple of times and he was speaking about, oh, you know, he's going to have to fit into the midfield and, you know, lots changed. So I could tell that he didn't have the confidence going back into that team, that it wasn't his team. This is completely different. This is start in the middle, competing with Sarong and Brayshaw, and he can be better than both of those two this year. And that's a big call, given where he was. But this is a two-time Brownlow medalist that now believes that he belongs back in that midfield and believes that he can be the best or top 10 player in the competition once again. Paul Hazelby talking on Scotty and Goss for breakfast this morning about Nathan Fife. And uh, the King, mm. the return of the King. Yeah. I'm not sure it's quite the return of the King, but I think it's really encouraging to see the way he played on the weekend. Very powerful. And you know what I like the most, Peter? What's that? He played smart. Mm. So to me, the key for Nathan Fife this year is to be a get and give player. Yeah. He's one of the all-time great contested ball winners of his era. Probably, I think only Dustin Martin has a higher contested ball winning ratio than Nathan Fife over Nathan Fife's time in the game, yep. which means that if he can get first hands on the ball, win the ball, it gives the other smaller Fremantle mids and the quicker Fremantle mids confidence to stay a bit wider, to play with a little bit more width. And so when Fife dishes the ball to them, they are in more space and they can get out and, mm. and, and do more with the ball, you know, have more time and space to do something really constructive with the ball. And I think that is going to be um, a real key. And the other thing that I liked about the game, and this is counterintuitive, is that he got good feedback on what he can and can't do because two or three times when he tried to fend and brush past players, yep. he got caught. Wasn't there anymore. He yeah. didn't get good outcomes. He's mm. not that quick anymore. He's still powerful enough to shift players off the line of the ball and good enough to win the ball. Mm. But he's going to have to be that get and give player. Win the ball, look at first options, see who you can get the ball to, and get Fremantle rolling. And I think the other big question that comes out of Nathan Fife's um, performance at the weekend, if he can continue to do that and stay sound, is... Do they need Hayden Young in the midfield? Mm. Now, this makes me sound like a complete <laughs> hypocrite because I've been calling for it, for, you know, from halfway through last Since year. Since in, yep. And then most of this summer. But when you look at who can't get in there at the moment, mm. you know, Neil Erasmus didn't get on the field until after half time. Will yep. Brody didn't get on the field until mm. after half time. Jager O'Meara was out on a wing. Andrew Brayshaw mm. was out on a wing. There is a log jam in there. So if Fife brings the big body that they've been missing, can they put Hayden Young back to half back and capitalize on his smarts, his ball use, the fact that he turns left, mm. all of those things back there and and use him to really add some bounce out of defense. Well, Hayes is right and wrong, isn't he? I think. Right that Fife could be better than Brayshaw and Sarong, but the Dockers don't need him to be anymore. And I think that's what we started to see on the weekend is how Fife can make Brayshaw and Sarong better, which is maybe some of the criticism that Fife was getting when he was trying to come back maybe a bit too early with injuries and stuff like that is that it felt like he still had to be the number one man. He wasn't ready to go as being number one. Oh No, I think it was more that he was never comfortable with the shift to attack mm. and they wanted him to shift to attack and he had to embrace it. And he never really did, and it never really worked. Mm. Um, so, you know, the midfield is his stamping ground. 
Um, my abiding memory of the 2020 season and the 2021 season when Caleb Sarong quickly established himself, himself as one of the stars of the competition was memories of David Mundy winning a ball, shrugging a tackle, and Caleb Sarong being smart, holding his width, and getting out and getting clear and doing something constructive with the ball. To me, Nathan Five can be that player mm. for Fremantle. That player they missed last year when David Mundy retired, and that player, that that big body and the guy that enables Brayshaw and Sarong to be more damaging, to play in a little bit more space. See, I actually like the fact that Andy Brayshaw got sent to a wing. Mm. I think that's good. He's a great runner. He's got great discipline. He runs both ways, which means he'll get back and help. And he's also not that big. Mm. You know, he's about a 184, 185. The midfielders now are 188, 190. They're, you know, they're, they're in the low 90 kilos. They're monsters. <laughs> so it's him in there trading weight with them nonstop is going to wear him out. If he gets a bit of a break out wide, then that's going to be good. And even though Jago Amir is not quick, what Jago Amira is, he's very clinical. He makes good decisions. He mm. doesn't fumble. He doesn't miss targets. He can change the direction of the ball. There's not a lot of risk attached to it because his skills are so good. So I think he adds something on a wing as well. And mm. I would just like to see them free up a couple of spaces in the middle because I want to see Erasmus play. Yeah, I want to see Matt Johnson play. And Matt Johnson can play on a wing also and go into the midfield. And Will Brody really has done nothing wrong, mm. and he's ended up out the back door just yeah. because they've got great midfield depth. So I reckon it's food for thought for Frio. And and the other thing, as I said at the top of the show, if you're going to do it, um, given that he knows the halfback line and given that this is a dress rehearsal for round one, they probably have to play him at halfback against Port Adelaide on Friday night. So watch this space okay. on that one, I oh, reckon. All right. I love a good uh, watch this space. Uh, Graham from Padbury has given us an extensive list uh, which starts with Flynn detaching his hamstring tendon from his knee in a routine ruck drill, just adds to the list of unusual injuries at West Coast. In the last 12 months, a ruptured spleen for Williams in a training drill, a fractured larynx for Sheed in a training drill. Ryan detached his hamstring tendon landing on his head after a marking attempt. Waterman uh, comes down with ulcerative colitis. Uh, Hewitt diagnosed with uh, sesamoiditis. Is that how you... Sesamoidot- That's the Sesamoiditis. One. Thanks, Doc. Uh, in his feet, uh, Barras uh, fractures his back after landing awkwardly in a marking contest. Edwards fractures his wrist, spoiling a ball as he's leaving training. There's bad luck and then there's bad luck. Graham from Padbury. Yeah. <laughs> Not not common injuries, the uh, majority of those. Is there a curse that needs to be lifted or something? I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, there's something going. Is it MRP? Is it Del Keith? Uh, sorry, not Del Keith. This is that, that area. This has got nothing to do with the surface. Like yeah. a lot of people have pointed fingers at the surface. Yeah. But all those injuries you've talked about, well, maybe Flynn's could be, I guess. It's a it's a hamstring. But the rest of them, you know, also right of colitis yeah. for Jakey Waterman. I mean, that's just... That's a... it's, they certainly haven't had much luck. You know, of all the things we say about West Coast over the last two years, and there's not much positive, they certainly have not had mm. much luck. Yeah, that thought just went through their head straight away after Flynn's news uh, on Saturday, didn't it? Um, Give just, us your thoughts. Yeah. The text line is 0487 736 736. We'd love to hear from you on the Barrow Day open line on 13 12 55. We'll take a break. After the break, we'll come back and talk to Fremantle's general manager. Have you got the full title? It's the executive general manager of football, Joe Bridie. 
Fremantle's footy manager, Joe Bridie, <laughs> will be talking to him about the upcoming game against Port Adelaide on Friday and how they emerged from the game against West Coast last Saturday and what they see in the season coming towards us. We'll be back after the break. Fremantle Dockers theme song. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium. Cloud clearing in Perth today, building to a top of 29 degrees. Now, thanks to McDonald's, barista-made, ice-cold drive-through for your iced coffee favourites at McCafe. We've got Joe Bridie. Joe is the Fremantle Executive General Manager of Football, and he joins us on the show. He's going to be a regular on the show this year, we hope. Joe, welcome. G'day, Duff. Thanks for having me, mate. Looking forward to chatting throughout the year. Yeah, it should be fun, mate, and hopefully we've got a lot of wins to talk about. How did you come out of the game against West Coast on Saturday? Yeah, positive hit out. Always good to get the minutes into the group. Obviously managed a a fair few players with kind of four or five coming out after half-time and another five or six coming out at three-quarter time. So it was good to have that spread across the group. Um, I think we had 41 in total that would have played some form of minutes in the six segments. So, uh, look, from our end, a, a really positive hit out as we kind of progress towards round one. Michael Walters and Jai Amos look like they got knocks on legs. How have they come up? Yeah, both fine. Um, Sonny had a, a knock to his knee, which a little bit sore and pulled up a right, and Jai just had a little issue with his ankle and a bit of jarring. But, again, he's, uh, he's pulled up well, so they'll, uh, they'll both be um, ready to go today and obviously in preparation for... Port Adelaide on, on Friday night. What's your schedule this week, Joe? You, like your normal in-season schedule is to go a couple of days before the game. Do, do you do that or do you go the day before to play Port? Yeah, we'll change it up a little bit this week just in terms of the pre-season and I guess not managing time away you know, a little bit as well and, and seeing what it looks like from a night game. So we'll travel first thing Thursday morning um, and a little bit delayed getting home so we don't get back until about 2 o'clock on, on Saturday afternoon. But you're right, normally we would probably travel um, Wednesday afternoon, but with it being a Friday night fixture, gives us a little bit extra time in Perth to prepare. Um, so we'll just head over the day before and we'll do a captain's run in Adelaide on Thursday afternoon. Obviously, the Eagles are in a rebuild and they do have some injury concerns at the moment. So it's a it's a dress rehearsal for round one, this one, isn't it, against a team that is expected to be there when the whips are cracking in September, Port? Yeah, look, it's, well, look at the West Coast. We won't focus necessarily on them. For us, it was more about making sure that our system and, and processes that we're looking to embed across the pre-season are there uh, in that hit-out. And then, obviously, as you mentioned, um, this will be probably a more structured game with the way the AFL set it up, being aligned to AFL fixturing uh, and the different rules and regulations that we follow. So uh, we can obviously take a, a squad of 26, which starts to have a look at what our, our own one team might look like. Um, and, yeah, as you mentioned, um, they've obviously been a pretty impressive in recent years, Port, and the way they go about it. They're a high-pressure team, love to attacking game plan. They've had some changes in personnel with some players coming in that you might see kind of adjust the way they go about it um, as well. So, yeah, really exciting for our group to test themselves against Port, and as you said, it's a, another step towards round one against uh, Brisbane. Interesting test for your defenders and your small defenders in particular because it sounds like they're going to play Rosie and Horn Francis out of the goal square a little bit and uh, use them as uh, um, speedy small forwards. Yeah, something they like to do. They've obviously got an abundance of pretty impressive inside mids, uh, which they do like to rest 
rest deep forward. Todd Marshall didn't play last week, so um, when they bring him back into the team, that might adjust how they look to utilise their, their, their mids that they might send um, deep in their forward line. But um, they're both really, really impressive players and, and have um, pretty impressive forward craft. They're definitely something for, for our, our backs to, to monitor. And uh, we've got some, I guess, strong personnel back down there when you look at Luke Ryan and the way Oscar McDonald's gone about since he's arrived. And, and Alex has been really strong and hopefully refreshed only having a, a couple of quarters last weekend. So look forward to seeing how that plays out for sure. Tell us about Oscar McDonald. How pleased were you with him last weekend? And how is Brennan Cox tracking in terms of being available for round one? Yeah, Oscar's been really impressive since he's arrived at the club, to be honest. A really high-caliber person. Um, and he's fitted in seamlessly. And uh, as we saw Brennan go down, it's been great to see that he's kind of slid into that as our second key back. So um, the way he goes about it, I think he had eight balls last weekend and um, just finds a way to get a fist on the ball against his opponent, which as a key defender, that's all you're looking for. And um, He's really engaged and embedded and connected with that, the other back six, which is, which is great from my perspective. So it's been great to see how he's arrived at the club and the way he's gone about um, putting himself forward for an opportunity in, in the start of the year. Uh, when we talk about Brennan going really well, he's going to complete on-field running today, um, progressing the way that we would have hoped in his preparations for, for round one um, and still on on track with everything kind of looking good at this point in time to, uh, to be available. There's a lot of excitement about Nathan Fife, and that certainly hasn't diminished after watching him play on Saturday against West Coast. How's his summer been? And what are the expectations for him in terms of how much game time he plays, whether he's a, um, he starts in the middle or do you look at starting him on the bench and bringing him in for, for hit-and-run missions in the middle, if you like? Um, what, what do you expect of him? Yeah, look, I think it'll be a case-by-case case in terms of his load management and, and how he's going across the season. Um, I guess if we talk about expectations, we know the calibre of the player. And, and for him... He's obviously had some really frustrating years with the continuity of his body. Um, he's obviously been very open uh, with us, myself and JL, about feeling really good in his body and, and getting the opportunity to really focus solely on his midfield craft and um, having that bigger body around the contest really to to provide options and open up, um, I guess, the outside uh, of the contest with some of our younger mids as well. Um, he's a bit of a beast in there in the way in which he goes about it. So we've been really impressed with Nat, um, and it's great to see him having some continuity. So he will just continue to play his role um, within our midfield mix, and he's been fantastic at doing that. And I think it's just making the others around him walk taller, um, having him out there, and even his leadership and communication has been fantastic. So um, from our perspective, we'll just keep building and managing his body in case by case, and, and Nat knows his body better than anyone. He'll keep communicating with us on on how he's going. Not just walking taller, but, but playing a little bit wider because they're smart midfielders, Caleb Sarong and Andy, and Andy Brasher, and they think they recognise the fact that if they hold a little bit more width, they can get the ball in a little bit more space because Nathan, the thing that stuck out about him on Saturday was the get and give. He wasn't trying to crash through too much. He was just winning the ball and then feeding it to players in more space than he had, which I suspect if he continues to do that and he stays sound, he's going to be a pretty big midfield weapon for you. Yeah, you touched on it. It just gives the opportunity for other players to get to the outside when he's obviously um, getting to, I guess, the, the contest and, and opening up um, different angles from a midfield perspective. And that's been a big focus of that contest method and, 
and opening up those opportunities and that enables you to get speed on the ball uh, and set up some of those forward half um, attacks on the footy. So from that end, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, he's an asset to the midfield coming in. We know the calibre of the player and the way that he, he sets it up and just how strong he is over the ball. Um, I think that we'll continue to utilise. And But he's been great even the way he's gone about rolling through the defence uh, 50 and and obviously being an outlet for us at different times as well on the outside himself. So, yeah, really pleasing with how he's going. Um, I'm sure Nat's just looking forward to um, putting some consistent games together from his body's perspective. So I feel like a hypocrite asking you this, Joe, because I've been pushing for Hayden Young to go into the midfield for the back half of last season and most of the summer. But if Nathan is sound and given yep. when, you, when you look at the depth you have rolling through the midfield and the players who didn't even get on the field until after halftime on Saturday night, is there a case to argue that you can slide Hayden Young back and maybe open up a spot for a Neil Erasmus or a Will Brody in the inside mid-battle? Yeah, and, and to be honest, Duff, that's a great thing for us to have. That competition for spots is one thing, and, and I think that that obviously only makes your players get better in the way they go about it. Um, but then you, you talk to what you were talking about in terms of flexibility. We've seen James Aish go to a half-back line. Obviously, when, when Chappie's fit, we know we've got some flexibility with him, whether he's off half-back or on a wing. Um, we saw Jago Mira play on the wing on the weekend. And uh, Youngie played uh, off half-back in, in the third quarter as well um, on the weekend just gone. So it's going to be about what's the best mix at different times and, and how you approach that. And we know the talent that Hayden provides off half-back and his ability to do that. But we also can see what he's done. As an inside mid, obviously, when you've got a left footer, provides a flank a little bit different coming out of stoppage as well. So I think when we look at it now, it's, it's one that's just what's the best makeup of our 22 week to week and, and where's, uh, where our players playing their best footy. But it's great to have some flexibility and be able to um, have players kind of coming off half-back, going through midfield or, or whether they're um, playing on a wing or playing inside mid. Um, to have the adaptability is going to be something that's really important to us and, and only assist in that competition for spots across the year. Jeremy Sharp's had an impressive summer for you. Unfortunately, he was ill and couldn't play on the weekend. Will he be on the plane to go to Adelaide? Yeah, we'll finalise the, the travel party. with Sharpie will be um, fit to train today. We just he uh, had a fair bit of fatigue um, last week after being a little bit crook. Um, so we'll just need him to get through training today and, and formalise that. So um, yeah, as you mentioned, he's had a fantastic pre-season and we know what he does um, on the wing. So hopefully he can get through and and then jump on the on the plane to Adelaide. It'll be great for the Freer fans to see him. Um, an official capacity playing against another side. So um, yeah, he's been really impressive, but. He just need to obviously get through his running today because he's had a few days off legs just after being a bit crook. Now, you and I had a discussion about this next bloke uh, when I was down at the Fremantle Media Day a couple of weeks ago, but like the look of him on the weekend when he came onto the field, Josh Draper down back. Tell us a bit about his development. He's just a very, very good mover. Yeah, it's great to see um, for Drapes. Obviously, come through our NGA um, and a real athlete. Um, as you can see with physique and um, from our point of view, he's just been gradually building down appeal in, in recent years and, and across the pre-season, he just looks to have taken another step uh, with his decisiveness and, and composure with the ball. Um, and he's, he's going to be someone that's great to have uh, as another, obviously another key back with his athleticism and ability to take on the game as well. Um, it's something that we think will be an asset in the future and as he continues to build. It's great to see him have an opportunity in the second half with Alex going out to play on a couple of 
um, key tools from West Coast point of view. And as you mentioned, um, he, was, he, was, he was impressive on the weekend with the way he rolled off and um, composure in the contest and the way he used the ball. So it was great. Great step forward for Josh. Lockie Schultz obviously is a loss and you miss his pressure as well as his goals. Tell us about Tom Emmett. Is he the guy you would look to replace Lockie Schultz in your forward structure? So I'd probably say it's in a similar vein to the, the midfield battle at the moment. We're looking at that kind of seventh forward. Um, it's something that will obviously continue to kind of look all the different players that can roll through that position at the moment. We've got Tommy who's taking his opportunity. He's been really impressive in a couple of intra-clubs and he was um, impressive on the weekend and the way he obviously provides an outlet and his forward pressure and the way he plays in, in role and shape for our team. Uh, but then you look at the likes of Cooper Simpson, uh, has really come in, obviously, drafted as a midfielder, but he's really owned um, the opportunity to, to learn his craft as a forward. Um, his ball used to say it's really impressive going to the forward half, but then you've got Sam Sturt, who's coming back from injury with his speed and, and ball use, and, and Bailey Banfield, you know, he's obviously been a really consistent performer as, as one of those um, smaller forwards, but also can play tall as well. So in terms of the final makeup, it'll be something that will gradually progress through. Unfortunately, Freddie... Uh, we'll miss this, this Friday night. He's, uh, he's got a very minor a hamstring that we'll see him miss uh, Port Adelaide. So that gives someone else an opportunity to come in against Port later this week and um, another one of the boys that we can have a look at with, with Tommy. So, um, yeah, he's, he's definitely going well. But it's great to see that competition for those uh, smaller half-forward spots down there, for sure. I know you said you haven't finalised the team yet, but would you expect Cooper Simpson to be a chance to play in this game, Joe? He'd be around the squad, that's for sure. He obviously came in um, in the, the latter part of the game on the weekend in the second half. Um, so he'll be around that squad. Uh, how, how many we take in the end uh, will formalise over the next 24 hours. Teams don't have to be named until Thursday afternoon. We're obviously flying Thursday morning, so we'll let the boys know tomorrow what that looks like. Uh, but he's definitely been impressive, and, and he's been around the mark and, and in conversations, that's for sure. Joe Bridey, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. We, we look forward to talking to you more as the season goes on. And as I said earlier, hopefully we're talking about uh, a, a very successful season for the young Fremantle Dockers. I appreciate it, Duff. Thanks for, uh, thanks for your time. Joe Bridey, he's the Fremantle Executive General Manager of Football. Brought to you thanks to McDonald. Barista made, ice cold. Drive through for your iced coffee favourites at McCafe. Now that's coffee fit for an Aussie. We'll take a break and be back with more of Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. You can text us in on 0487 736 736 or we'd love to hear from you on the Bower and O'Day open line on 13 12 55. Bower and O'Day because the little things are everything. Now, Paul Heath is with me in the studio. Heater. Duff. The idea I have had, mate, and Mm. we'd love to get people's thoughts on this on the text line. Yes. Is we should play an Anzac test match in Perth annually. Australia versus New Zealand. Yeah. November 11. Started okay. on Remembrance Day, which is a significant day. Mm-hmm. And obviously, test cricket often starts at 11 o'clock. Mm-hmm. So, and there's the minute silence that takes place at 11 o'clock on the 11th of the 11th. Okay. And make it an occasion and be prepared to sacrifice test matches against... Pakistan, Sri oh. Lanka, West Indies, oh, okay. and, al- yep. and allow Tasmania in to get them. Mm. Retain the games against England and India. 
or maybe one of India and South Africa, but make it an annual event and something we can turn into an occasion. Now, the timing of it, I'm not sure how it fits on the cricket calendar, but it means you dodge the worst of the heat mm. in Perth, which yep. I think is a massive thing in yeah. keeping people away from chess cricket. No one wants to sit in the sun in the middle of summer for six hours in Perth. No one. Yeah. Um, and it gives us something to build on, something to build around. There's a lot of New Zealanders live in Perth. Uh, New Zealand is now a strong cricket country. Mm. They are strong in all forms of the game. We could build it into something. I reckon the Kiwis would be keen to do it, particularly if they got to stage one over there, maybe at the other end of the summer as well, and make it an annual thing, whether it becomes part of the, the World Test Cricket Championship, I don't know. Mm. But I think it's something we could build on and turn our test match into something because at the moment we just kind of get fitted in yeah. on the schedule wherever they can. However it works. And to, uh, yeah, we've seen with Perth's ability to hold events uh, on a grander scale that we can do it. Uh, we can uphold our end. So, yeah, having something like that on the calendar would be great, but uh, interested to hear what the listeners have to say about it. If uh, they would, you know, perhaps go and see a New Zealand versus Australia test over an Australia versus Pakistan, West Indies, uh, you know, any of the other countries outside the big three, um, if they'd attend. Give us your thoughts on the text line, 0487 736 736. Call us on the open line, the Bower and O'Day open line, 13 12 55. Bower and O'Day, because the little things are everything. We'll be back with some of your text messages after the break. Yes, welcome back to the show. If you want to have your thoughts on anything we said on the show or anything in sport generally, text in 0487 736 736 or call us on the Bower and O'Day open line on 13 12 55. Bower and O'Day because the little things are everything. Hey, the big news coming out of Geelong. Yes, uh, Cam Guthrie is going to miss uh, the first couple of months of the season. Uh, they're predicting eight to ten weeks at the moment with a qu- right quadricep tendon injury. So those tendons have, uh, yeah, taken another one down. Uh, hasn't played since around six last year due, due to a complex foot injury. That required toe surgery. He returned to full fitness over the summer and then practice match rolls around and uh, unfortunately another in- another uh, injury. It sounds like with that foot injury, mm. he went to see the same um, Australian ballet yeah. physio that yep. um, West Coast sent Elijah Hewitt to see. The Australian ballet's principal physio. So they don't just have principal ballerinas. They've also got principal physios there, Dr. Sue Mays, and also had an extensive off-season training and study trip in America. So put some time and effort into it, and then it seems to have uh, come out in another way. The game is so athletically dynamic and so athletically demanding now. They're all, um, as uh, John Travolta would have said in Pulp Fiction, they're all race cars in the red now. (laughs) Not that's, a good, a de- that's a deep pool. It's, a, it's, a, it's a not a good. It's not a good thing to have a race car in the red. No, yeah. and unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, some of them break. Um, clearly, West Coast has got yeah. a lot of race cars in the red. Mm, it, it's interesting that you know it's not um, it's not the rule, but once you get past thirty in the game, these things can pop up. Like there's the you know the freaks that can come back quickly or do heal quickly or have, you know, a decent track record without getting, uh, you know, a, a big or an acute injury that takes them out for quite a while. But just once you see 31-year-old or something like that still trying to go through the rigours of AFL, the body doesn't keep holding up necessarily. Yeah, and it's often the ones with a lot of fast twitch fibres yeah, right. that end up breaking. Mm. So if you get the lopers, like a Scotty Pendlebury, like a David Mundy, 
um, that weren't regarded as super quick anyway, they can often persist. Michael Tuck was another one, yeah, mm. went on for ages and ages and ages. Whereas um, I always go back to Stephen Hill and Luke Shuey. Yeah. Know, I used to call them the Ferraris <laughs> at West Coast and Fremantle. You mm. know, once Stephen Hill broke, mm. they just couldn't fix him. Yeah. Um, he just every time he ran out there, he'd twang a calf, mm. and and he went and played country footy after he'd retired from the AFL, and he ended up playing reserves in a grand final because he twanged his calf and couldn't play in the senior team. That was playing country footy. Yeah. Um, so his his body really mm. caved in on him, and of course Luke Shuey we saw towards the end again explosive, you know, quick. Mm. Um, the first three steps, amazing, uh, really exciting to watch, um, but. Couldn't get out there. Elliot Yo, you know, touch wood at the moment. Looks like he's going okay, but we're not at round one yet. So, and he's similar to to those guys as well. You know, a lot of explosiveness, a lot of power, and um, unfortunately, over the last four seasons, a lot of injury. Has anyone ever done a case study into Stephen Hill when they you know tried to bulk him up? And it feels like in my you know perhaps very you know, hazy uh, memory and calendar of it all. He got big. Yeah, and from then on, I don't think the calves and the you know soft tissue injuries were ever the same for him. Yeah, it's an interesting one. He was such a skinny kid mm. when he came into AFL footy, and then you look at him as he finished up. He was a big man. You know, he was a big man, and whether that contributed to it, obviously, the, you know, this is all about power-to-weight ratios. Mm. It was an interesting thing the way... Ross Lyon handled him. He almost wanted him to be an inside mid, yeah. which I could never figure out. I didn't see the point in Stephen Hill going in and getting his head kicked off so he could handball to Ryan Crowley so Ryan Crowley could kick it and bring rain. That that, yeah. <laughs> that to me didn't make a lot of sense. I, I, I don't reckon that... Um, and they had the mid, inside mids that they did at the time. It wasn't... Well, I used to call them the four-wheel drive midfield. Yeah. They should have been sponsored by Isuzu. Yeah. There wasn't a needs basis, was there? They were living, they were living their own way. <laughs> you know, the, the Fremantle dog. There was, there was like Mundy, who was a 192-er. Yep. Nathan Fife was about 191, 192. There was mm. Michael Barlow, who was about 190, 191. There yep. was Ryan Crowley, who was about 190. There was Matty DeBoer, mm. who was about 190. They were all built like the proverbial. Mm. Um, yeah, they were a big, strong midfield, and they could have done with another guy on the outfield who could kick the ball through the wound-down window of a passing car, which mm. Stephen Hill yeah. could do. It was great. At, at one stage, Stephen Hill was the best inside 50 kick mm. in the AFL. Yeah. And, um, yeah, sad that injury got him yeah. uh, young. Yeah. Uh, there's a practice match tonight uh, between Collingwood and Richmond. I know that it's on your uh, radar. You'll be you know, all across it and uh, catching up with it. Uh, Paul Hazelby said that Richmond are the team that he is most worried about headed into the season. Uh, have you got any thoughts on Richmond and uh, what they're up against this season? Uh, look, the dynasty teams, I think, are in trouble because they're getting yep. near the end. And mm. we saw what could happen to West Coast when you get a successful team that just tries to push the premiership window out another year and another year after that. I'd be concerned about them. I'd be concerned about Geelong because mm. I think sooner or later the cliff comes. Um, it doesn't come to many teams as dramatically as it's come to West Coast, but it still does come. I'd be worried about the teams that didn't play finals last year, that played teams last week, that did play finals and therefore had had shorter preparations than them and still got beaten. So I think I made a note of these before yesterday's show. So, yeah, a bit concerned about Gold Coast, who played Brisbane. Yep. 
Um, and there was a couple of others, I think. I, I like the results tended to flow towards the team that had had the longer preparation. In other words, the team that had finished up earlier. Yep. Um, Gold Coast versus Brisbane was um, an outlier in that area. So mm. I'd be a bit concerned about them. Um, obviously, St Kilda beating Essendon as well. Yep. St Kilda did play finals. Essendon didn't. So mm. that would be the two teams yep. I'd be worried about, Essendon and Gold Coast at this yep. stage. Uh, a couple of texts that have come through on Sam Pal Pepper. Hi, Duff. On the Sam Pal Pepper bump, has anyone looked at the Rioli tackle and the sling into the ground? On its own, the Rioli tackle is two to three weeks as the head hits the ground hard. If we were serious about duty of care, there is an argument here for dual suspensions. Yeah, but the problem for me, and this is the problem with the Powell Pepper one, is that his circumstances are mitigated by the Rioli tackle, mm. and any Rioli tackle has to be mitigated by the collision with Powell Pepper. Mm. So I think Powell Pepper has to be suspended, but I do think they need to take into consideration that the bloke was tackled into him. Mm. And I just don't want to see them do what I see the AFL Tribunal do so often early in the season, and particularly involving conspiracy theory yeah. here, a, a player from a non-Victorian club. And I don't, I'm not saying they are anti-non-Victorian clubs. I'm saying the media noise mm. changes if it's a non-Victorian player. Yeah. You know, like the, the media was split on whether Maynard had to go in <laughs> September last year because he's a Victorian player. I mean, he had to go. Mm. You can't hit a bloke yeah. after he's got rid of the ball. He had to go. And I'm hearing strong media noise that Powell Pepper has to get four to five. And that bothers me. To me, it can't be any more than three. And I'd, if, if I was the AFL judiciary, I'd be happy with two mm. because of the mitigating factors. Yeah, we'll have to wait till uh, tomorrow morning to find out. Uh, Lisa from Allenbrook is saying, Duff, Sam Pepper has always played hard and just hope he doesn't get rubbed out for four or more weeks because of Angus Bradshaw having to retire. In my opinion, I think he should get two weeks. Uh, and then also, what are your thoughts on Laura Kane wanting to get rid of gloves being worn by some players? Uh, it's kind of like parsley. I really don't care. <laughs> Leave it to the side. <laughs> well, I mean, if it, if it is uh, to the point that you need to wear the glove for an injury or as a um, you know stability or something like that, you'd get it checked and ratified by the AFL, wouldn't you? Like, I yeah. think that's pretty straightforward. You can't just... It just doesn't bother I, di- I didn't like it when every second player was wearing them, but mm. if the odd player wears it, it just doesn't bother me that yeah. much. Yeah, so Q-Stick these days, would he be in trouble? Uh, yeah. the, 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 the roar when he threw the glove away oh, was just bit of, <laughs> easily, easily pleased the West Coast fans back in those days. Not, not quite as easily pleased these days. No, that's it. I don't think you'd have to throw a lot more than just a uh, glove uh, to the ground. And uh, one on uh, uh, Hayden Young perhaps going back into the back line and out of the mild. Uh, the only downside to Young going to the back is missing his deadly left foot to our forwards. Yeah, but if you get better bounce, mm. then you get him pushing up the ground and taking the ball on centre wing and carrying it 20 and still kicking it to the forwards. Mm. So, yeah, I think I, I take your point, but um, I like the idea of him running free and being able to use that left foot. Yeah. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be back to close up the show after the break. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. Welcome back to the show. Remember, the upcoming long weekend double demerit points apply from midnight Thursday until midnight Monday for speeding or using a mobile phone or radar detector while driving. Get caught and you could lose your licence twice as fast. 
Got to be careful out there on the long weekend. Uh, text in saying, Duff, your thoughts on Peter Sumich quitting his job because of being barred from commenting on Harley Reid. Oh, explosive. This oh. is one from today. I so think. I have heard that Peter Sumich is not writing columns for the West anymore, mm. but I haven't heard firsthand or officially as to what the reason is. There had been some speculation that there had been a disagreement mm. over whether a column should be written on Harley Reid and whether he was fit enough. Mm. But I haven't. I don't have that from Peter. Um, so until I had that from Peter, I probably wouldn't. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't suggest that it was fact. It's mm. just at this stage, that's just speculation. Um, yeah, a couple of articles. He might be too busy being assistant coach at Gamelling. Well, they're set for a big year, Duff. Uh, a massive one. Uh, so definitely on Harley Reid, uh, saying I gave the kid a pump up, and he said he's going to, and said he's going to be a good player. But everyone's carrying on like he's going to be Chris Judd. I put down he's no Chris Judd. I was there when Chris Judd was there, and what I saw of Chris Judd in his first two or three years, this kid doesn't even compare to Chris Judd. So I don't know what people are carrying on about. So a lot of the crux is from then on. That's what he said on, was that on Sport FM? Uh, that's on, uh, Coach, it's, uh, he spoke to Media Street with Scotty Gowan. Okay. Yeah, so if I uh, had a chance to uh, have a bit of a chat, get some uh, thoughts out there about what it might have been about. But, um, yeah, it's interesting with... Uh, well, that is a bit more concrete then. The uh, back page continues to, you know, turn over with uh, who's on there every day. And then you can't. <laughs> the Prince of Perth quite is back on there again. Criticise, yeah, I don't know, but it's, it's, is it is it a criticism if it's just all on hypothetical and potential? Because at that point we'd only seen him train. So. I, I just think it is lacking perspective to have that much stuff. Yeah, on a kid mm. that's yet to play. I hope he copes. Like yeah. I really do. I just, you know, I think he's really important to West Coast future. We want two strong clubs mm. in Western Australia. We've only had there only been brief periods since the emergence or since the establishment of Fremantle. Where we've had two strong clubs, mm. and they've been great periods in WA footy. And we need two strong clubs. So we need West Coast to climb back up. We need Fremantle to climb a bit further and get back in the in the finals. Harley Reid is incredibly important. Mm. The West Coast. So hopefully he deals with it and it doesn't affect him. And hopefully people, well, I'm sure, I think people are showing a lot more perspective and understanding mm. than um, the West is at the moment. Oh. You know, their understanding is a kid. Yeah. Um, you know, he did some okay things the other night. He did some things that he'll learn from, some things he shouldn't have done, mm. um, like trying to fend off older, tougher tackling. Mm. <laughs> um, hopefully he learns from that. But yeah, it just. I don't know. Give the kid, give the kid some time. I'm asking myself every single day, what can I do for Harley Reid today? So you know, we're all just doing our bit, Duff. Well, you can read about it on the back page of the week. We'll find out, won't we? Yeah. <laughs> What's he like? You know, <laughs> we'll find out soon enough. But uh, yeah, Suma, go on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, one thing about Suma, whether you agree with him or disagree with him, he always spoke his mind. Yeah. True. Yep. Thanks for joining us on the show today. We'll be back with another edition of Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA tomorrow. Brought to you, as always, by Azuzu.